Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. We were really careful about what type of camera we used and also how close we shadowed the family. You know, like even when we are filming Ying's family in the US, it totally feels very, very different from what I did before. This is a very, very sad film, you know, for the audience. And for them, this is probably the worst moment in their life. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I'm your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 126. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and the monthly The Documentary Life Workshops. Your opportunity to join a group of doc filmmakers for two and a half hours and engage in a workshop led by yours truly. Stay tuned to today's episode to learn about a special deal that we'll be running this month. It feels like Steph and I have been dealing with the fear and loathing of the coronavirus for two months now, which was about two weeks before leaving Cambodia and coming to the good old US of A where, you know, everything was, as according to our fearless leader, under control. Actually, at that point, we were still a few weeks before COVID-19 was a bit more on Americans' consciousness. In fact, I remember all of us walking through the Seattle airport after spending many, many hours in the air leaving Cambodia. It was the 1st of February, and we were wearing our face masks, and everyone's looking at us like we're freaks, right? Which was was fine. I, I don't think we expected anything less since the virus had barely hit the Western world at that point. Looking back, it, it seems almost comical how unprepared we all were then. The customs guy kind of smirking at me and my masked family. Little discussion in the media. Said fearless leader and government not even yet mentioning any virus, let alone referring to it as, you know, just the flu. It seemed like we had left one part of the world that was unprepared, but quickly implementing life changes to another part of the world that was unprepared, soon to be implementing some life changes. And so here we find ourselves, eh? At the time of this recording, it is Monday, March 16th, 2020, four days before we've released this episode. At this point, we all know how much can change in four days' time. But this episode is not meant to be another political rant about the coronavirus and or the American government's inability to respond very quickly. See what I did there? I kind of just got political there, I guess, editorializing. I got to work on that. But seriously, I want to talk about what we doc filmmakers can be doing during these strange times. How we might, in fact, stay focused during these times. Especially since most, perhaps all by the time you hear this, will be staying indoors for quite some time. You know, and practicing our hashtag social distancing. So I've got some ideas on ways for doc filmmakers to stay focused during the coronavirus.
The first one I'll mention is something that many of you may already be doing. And if not, perhaps it's time to grab a pen and notebook and start doing it. Yes, I'm talking about journaling, writing down some thoughts, observations, to-do lists, whatever. The idea here really should be about taking some time with yourself to properly collect some thoughts. That is, slow the thoughts down, especially since most of us are being bombarded by stories of COVID-19, whether through our social media, our televisions, the internets. Sift through all of the cacophony of thoughts that are swirling madly around in our brains and kind of processing them on paper. There's just something wonderful that happens with our brains when we take a pen or pencil in hand and begin writing things down on paper. We're literally forced to, like I said, slow down our thoughts, and maybe even more importantly, get all of the shit out of your brain so that you can properly assess what is truly important and what isn't. And there's something relieving and liberating by getting all of these thoughts out and really kind of freeing up our minds for what we then decide is safe and positive enough to be allowed back into our brains. What thoughts actually serve us well. So grab a notebook and set aside time or multiple times in the day when you can do this kind of journaling. Another great way to stay focused as a doc filmmaker during these times is to do what you love to do. Make documentary film. Work on that project that's been collecting dust for the past few months while you've been taking care of the kids, or you've been freelancing, or you've been procrastinating, whatever. You really couldn't have a better opportunity for some time than now, right? You could also simply document what is happening in your world at the moment. Pick up your camera or your phone and simply start shooting what life is now like for you or your family or your friends. Although I want to be careful encouraging the friends bit since, you know, we're all supposed to be practicing social distancing right now, and rightfully so. But the point here is to be creating, right? I mean, why wouldn't you be? Sure, doubtless there will be countless personal docs that will be coming out in a year's time from now, but whatever. The idea is more about staying focused, right? Remaining focused on the doc filmmaking. Staying focused on our craft. Using your quote-unquote downtime, and I want to be sensitive to what I'm calling downtime here, since so many of us are now out of work and we've got families and we're trying to navigate maybe how to make next month's rent or mortgage. Please know that I am keenly aware of this maybe too keenly aware of this, but in a way, maybe even more reason to document our worlds right now. And who better to do this than us? Another thing that is going to help us stay focused on our doc lives right now is exercise. Because all of this time that we're going to be hunkered down, I think it's going to be critical we become aware of the needs of our bodies, or at least stay aware of the needs of our bodies. And more specifically, movement. Keeping from getting sick is naturally on everyone's minds right now. And while it is easy to forget this, exercise is a big part of our health too. Maybe a good time to dust off that treadmill you bought a couple of New Year's ago, but never actually unboxed. Or you have a set of weights in the basement. Or you can roll out the yoga mat. Steph has the kids doing yoga videos from YouTube. And no, I won't be posting these yoga videos in the show notes, but I'm sure you can do some YouTube searching on your own. There are plenty of things that you can do right at home. Stretches should be mandatory. Maybe some push-ups. Sun salutations. I've started running again since I couldn't really do much of it in Cambodia very easily. 
I know, I know, it's in the outside world, but I'm not really coming into contact with anyone, right? Certainly not in any groups of people. And running not only helps me physically, but it helps me mentally. The sifting of the thoughts, if you will, that I was talking about earlier. Get some movement in your body going. It's super important. Your heart, your mind, your body needs it. So that's helping to keep the body fluid and focused. And so the last thing I want to talk about is keeping your mind focused. To keep learning, educating yourself. Of course, it could be any topic, but in our case, let's talk doc filmmaking, right? Now, there are a couple of ways in which you can do this. Reading is, of course, a great way. If you're like me, you probably have a handful of filmmaking books that you bought when they came out because they seemed like a great thing at the time, but then you never really found that time to actually read any of these books. Um, A couple that come to mind, directing the documentary by Michael Rabiger, who we had on the show a, a year or two ago. This book is always a quintessential doc filmmaking read, and it's one of those books that's so full of rich information about the craft that I bet no one here, myself included, has actually read the thing from cover to cover. So that's a book you can pick up. Or maybe Sheila Curran Bernard's documentary storytelling. That's one that's still sitting on my shelf, barely creased, that I always pass by and think to myself, I can't wait to get to that one. Then something comes up and I don't get to that one. Actually, I should try and get Sheila on the show, shouldn't I? Anyhow, so yeah, great time to get some doc filmmaking reading done. Another way to keep learning the craft is by taking a course or a workshop. Of course, not in person, not right now at least, but online. There are some great filmmaking courses out there online, like Patty Bird's Inside the Edit. That's a great course that we know that a lot of our listeners have loved. There are some masterclass series out there, like the Ken Burns one or the Werner Herzog one. Heck, I'd be willing to bet that there are some online courses that you have signed up for in the past that you never got around to actually taking. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I know there are a few of you out there who are enrolled in our The Documentary Academy who haven't gone entirely through the program. Now might be a great time for that. Online workshops are another great way to keep educating yourself during this time. You might even check to see if some of your local community colleges or film centers are doing any workshops online. Especially in the case of universities and colleges, most everything is being taught online right now. Some shameless promoting here, but we do have two workshops of our own that are online. The Going Solo With Your Documentary Filmmaking Workshop and Documentary Filmmakers Crowdfunding 101 Workshop. In fact, we have decided to run a special for the next couple of weeks because we know that a lot of you will be home and we want to help keep you engaged with the documentary community. These workshops are a great way to do this. I can talk more about this and share our special deal during the break. Seriously, all shameless promoting aside, these are an excellent way to pack in a workshop and to connect directly with me and other doc filmmakers in the workshop. Okay, so I hope that this list of ways for doc filmmakers to stay focused during the coronavirus has helped you. Feel free to share some of your own with us, either by leaving a comment in the show notes for this episode or in our community Facebook group. I'm sure there are some great ones, and it'd be lovely if you could share them with the rest of us. Next up, we'll be talking with first-time doc filmmaker Jenny Shi, whose stunning film Finding Ying Ying was set to premiere this week at South by Southwest, which of course was recently canceled due to coronavirus events. We'll talk about that and so much more after the break as we continue living and leading the documentary life.
I want to give a quick thank you to the music licensing platform Music Vine, who have kindly supplied music for today's programming. They were also the sponsors of our previous episode. I mentioned for the whole of 2020, Doc Lifers can get 15% off any Music Vine subscription with the code DOCLIFE15. Due to a mix-up, the promo code wasn't active when the episode was aired, but I can confirm it is now fully working. So if you need music for your film, head over to Music Vine and use DocLife15 to get an additional 15% off any of their music license subscriptions. Hi Chris, just wanted to say thanks again for the great workshop this afternoon. Your energy and attentiveness really made it a worthwhile investment and an all-round enjoyable experience. That was from Jack in Australia, who recently took one of our monthly workshops. This was from our Going Solo with Your Documentary Filmmaking workshop, where we delve into the world of making your documentary film with little to no crew. This workshop elevates your shooting, your interviewing, and your sound abilities, as well as helps you become more connected to a doc filmmaking community, so that you can feel less isolated and alone in your solo doc filmmaking venture. We also have the Documentary Filmmakers Crowdfunding 101 workshop, where I will help you not only to raise funding for your film, but also build an audience for your current and future films. If you are at all considering raising some funding for your doc, this is a great one to take. Now, I know that many of you may be home during the month of April, and you may be looking for ways in which to stay focused on your documentary craft. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I want to be able to help you do this. So for the month of April, we are offering up our workshops for $50 instead of the regular price of $65. Honestly, I'd pay three times that amount for either of these workshops. Not only are you expanding your documentary education in a live interactive setting where you'll be meeting and engaging with other doc filmmakers, you'll also get the opportunity to have me directly answer your documentary questions. The Going Solo with Your Documentary Filmmaking Workshop happens on Wednesday, April 8th. And then on the next Wednesday, it's followed by the Documentary Filmmakers Crowdfunding 101 workshop. Again, that's Wednesday, April 15th. To learn more about these workshops and to reserve your seat today, go to thedocumentarylife.com slash workshops. These workshops are a tremendous way to transform your documentary filmmaking. And for the month of April, you can make that transformation for just $50. Get signed up today at thedocumentarylife.com slash workshops and let your doc filmmaking transformation begin. I'm excited to bring on first-time documentary filmmaker Jayanne, or Jenny, as she's known here in the U.S., she, the documentary filmmaker behind Finding Ying Ying, which was set to premiere this week at South by Southwest. And uh, I think a lot of us are aware of what has transpired over the last few weeks, causing a number of cancellations uh, throughout uh, certainly the film festival world and so much more. First of all, Jayanne, ni hao, and welcome to The Documentary Life. Thank you, Chris, for inviting me. 
Absolutely. I, I, I'm excited to have this conversation, and I have been for quite some time. I'm glad that we were able to, to make it happen. I guess the first thing I'll ask you is, uh, how are you doing these days? How are you uh, dealing with the coronavirus at this point? How are things personally, and of course, having family in China, as well as uh, professionally? What's it like for you right now? Yeah, so uh, basically right now, I'm just spending all my time at home and, uh, you know, just avoid, you know, going outside. So like, the coronavirus uh, outbreak, there was a big outbreak um, back in China. I think it was like last month, uh, you know, there were the, the numbers of the cases just surged. Yeah. And my parents, um, they, they they both lived in Shanghai. Mm. And they are in Shanghai. And uh, I think that city, we have, um, you know, enough uh, medical resources. So they are probably fine uh, there. But I st- I'm still, you know, very worried about them. And I heard about the, you know, the situation, you know, through the media and all the news coverage. It was really, really wild at that time. And I just kept reminding them, you know, st- stay at home. And, uh, you know, if you really want to buy something, just to order something and have someone, you know, delivered to yeah. home. Just don't go outside. And uh, at the time, you know, everything was fine here in the U.S. And I believe. <laughs> It was also fine, you know, the rest of the world. And I, I just feel like things just changed rapidly. Um, so, you know, like a month after, like my parents, they were, they right now they are doing exact, exact the same thing that I did <laughs> a month ago. So they were. Yeah, they're telling you to stay in and to stock up your shelves, right? Yeah. And asking me whether I need like masks yeah. or toilet paper so they can't, you know, ship it to me. So, so yeah. And, uh. For me, uh, you know, as a professional, um, it it did affect, uh, you know, me and especially on the film uh, itself. Yeah. We were supposed to, uh, you know, premiere the film at South by, and now it canceled. And then we have we had other film festivals, but so far they they were all canceled, and mm-hmm. uh, we were just you know waiting for what's next. Uh, but we, you know, all our our team members. We, we just think, you know, right now health uh, is the pro- priority. So we, 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 we totally understand, um, you know, why, um, you know, they made a decision to cancel the film festivals. And we also really appreciate all the organizers and, uh, you know, their efforts to setting up those amazing fests, although they, are, they were canceled. But we still really appreciate them. And also, you know, I just feel everyone just stay safe to my uh, fellow filmmakers, everyone. So right now it's very special time and uh, also a very difficult time for us. But I think uh, what we can do is really, you know, take care of ourselves. And then we can, you know, when everything is done, we can work on our project. I hope uh, there will be, you know, like I can, I will be able to find a home for my film. So yeah, so that's how I feel. So let's back up a little bit. Often what we do on the show is we talk about sort of, um, to give us some context, we want to find out where our doc filmmakers came from or how they came to doc filmmaking. What's interesting about this, it would seem like for you, and you're going to help me with this, is that you came to doc filmmaking in a way through these horrific events that would happen in, in, in really in your life in many ways. Talk a little bit about that. Um, how that came to be, and how doc filmmaking brought you to, well, brought you to finding Yingying. 
Sure, sure, sure. So I came to the States four years ago as an international student. So I finished my, uh, I got my bachelor's degree in China in journalism. And then I decided to study abroad uh, right after that. And I was enrolled in a journalism program at Northwestern University. And at that time, I took a lot of like video journalism classes and also documentary courses. So in my last quarter of uh, my graduate program, I took a documentary journalism class and Brent Huffman, now he's a producer of uh, my film Funny In, and at that time he was my professor. So in my last quarter of, um, you know, at the, at the, at, at my school, Ying's, you know, disappearance happened. So this was happened when I was still at school. Yeah. And at that time, um, you know, like, oh, it was really huge in, among the Chinese students in the U.S. So everyone was spreading the words and trying to find her. I also posted her information on my Facebook and, uh, you know, I put up like flyers. And uh, after the family arrived at Urbana Champagne, there there was a large group of Chinese students volunteer. Uh, they they basically uh, helping the family, you know, on a daily basis and deliver food to them. And sometimes if they need a ride, there will be also like local volunteers uh, help them. Mm. Again, you know, I was I was still a student at that time. But I also heard that many people, you know, even from Chicago and they dro- they drove to Champagne to visit family. So it wasn't very, mm. uh, you know, it, so Chicago is not very far away from Champagne. It's only like two hour drive. Yeah. So. I also went down to Champagne and to see, you know, what what I can help. And uh, I reached out to the volunteer group um, at Urbana Champagne and found um, a volunteer uh, whose name is Shiling Sun. So he's also like he's also a student at that time, but he's a U of I student and uh, he's, you know, helping the family. I, I just met. I just met him and I also met other volunteers and I got a chance to meet the family. So at the very beginning, I didn't think about, you know, making a documentary uh. on this case or oh, whatever, what I'm going to do. I just want to meet the family and to see what I can help. And uh, after, you know, visiting the family for several times and uh, really get to know uh, more about them. And I'm wondering, you know, what I can do to, to help them in some way. So I'm thinking about, you know, you know, people have money they just donate to the family or just help to buy some groceries uh, for the family and I have camera and I have the journalistic skills I learned at school mm. so I just I just ask them you know uh, if I can you know use my camera to do something like documenting what's going on right now and for them uh, Ying's family feel like it's it is it, it it's meaningful that if I can document something you know about Ying so that's how I started and uh, so basically, you know, um, again, I didn't think about, you know, I'm going to make a feature film yeah. because we, we just didn't know, like, what's going to happen. And we everyone hope we can find it in maybe probably like in three days. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a happy ending. You know, it's, you know, everyone, she, she, she's, uh, mm. she's safe. We just found, find her. So we're hoping that. Mm. But later on, I think it's just like three weeks uh, later, um, the FBI they arrested the suspect and they uh, made a statement saying, saying that they don't believe Ying is still alive. So I realized that it's gonna, you know, the whole story totally changed the direction and it's gonna be something very, very different from what we expected. Yeah. 
So at that time, I'm actually thinking about I'm going to keep following keep following the story, and probably going to be a a documentary. And uh, I basically just you know practice, not really practice. I'm just applying what I, whatever I learned at school to 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 document the story and to document Ying's family's life. And uh, you know, um, I think at the end of the quarter um, of my graduate program. I made a like a student film. Um, it's around like twenty minutes. So that's something I I finished like for as a school project. Mm. But after I graduated, I still um, kept following in story. And for me, like being a documentary filmmaker before in story, it was. I mean, I I never really thought about that. I so I to be honest, I thought. Okay, after I graduated, probably uh, maybe I will start with you know being a reporter, uh, no matter it's it was in China or or in the U.S. Mm. It was really in story. I I just feel okay. I I, I, I want to tell this story, and uh, I just you know I just kept uh, following the story and uh, kept doing it. The more time I spent with Ying family, the more I learned about Ying Ying, and uh, the more I found out about. The similarities between Ying and I, yeah. and that's something really, you know, touched me, and also that later became the biggest motivation. I wanted to, you know, make a film for her and for her family. June the first, twenty seventeen. Speaking English, morning reading, twenty minutes. Jogging, thirty minutes, six to six thirty. Study. Forty minutes. Breakfast. Twenty minutes. March on. This is part of the diary kept by Ying Ying Zhang during her first six weeks in the U.S. Her last communication that summer was a text message exchange with an apartment rental manager. What did the family think of having the camera around? Or maybe better put, how did you ultimately approach them with this becoming now a full-fledged documentary project? How did you approach them, and what were the reactions? So at the very beginning, they thought like I'm, I was documenting Ying's,、um, you know, the the places Ying used to work and live, which was true because I went outside. With them, you know, to the cornfield where Yingying set up like all the gears, scientific gears, equipment with her colleagues, and also went to the apartment、um, she she lived at that time. And、uh, later on,、um, at that time, there were a lot of、uh, news coverage、um, about you know the the case, and also I think after the FBI, they they said you know、uh, we arrested a suspect, and、uh, that guy, I mean the. The suspect at the, at that time he he was a U of I student, so there are also like many coverage about his you know details of of his like family, his history, things like that. And the、uh, Yingying's family, I think at the very beginning they are very shy in front of the camera, and also they didn't really understand why I wanted to make the film, and that they, they didn't see what's the potential of this footage.、Um, Like I shot, gonna have in future, but so at the very beginning we really respect、uh, their feeling, 
And a lot of footage we got at that time was basically about public events, like a uh, press conference, like um, like a vigil and concert organized by the university. So there were a lot of reporters covering those public events already. So we were not really, you know, uh, interfering the family's life in the U.S. Mm. And to be honest, I would say like 70% of the time we spent with the family was without camera. So we were not just being there with our camera and uh, kept the camera rolling. So most of the time, especially the first five months, when the family was still in the U.S., a lot of time we were just there. So we didn't even have our have the camera with us. Yeah. So sometimes they wanted to go to somewhere and they they couldn't find some anyone to help them. So they will reach out to us. And uh, my friend um, at Urbana Champagne, and also I just said he's he was a volunteer at uh, UFI and uh, you know in the search of thingy. So. He had a car, so basically he drove the family to the places they wanted to go. So kind of, you know, our role weren't just filmmakers. We mm. were also volunteers. Mm. That's how we approached the family. Mm. And later on, I think the the more, like the longer they wait, um, they just realized that, uh, you know, in this case can be solved in a short period of time. And they really need exposure in public because they they don't they didn't want people to forget about them and uh, forget Yingying. So I think the, at that time they started to uh, be more open to, I mean, any press or like media and also as well as us. So they were allowed us to shadow them more. And uh, since we spend a lot of time with them, they are quite comfortable with us, like right. being there. Right. But there are there were still some situations that because I filmed with an, an FS Sony FS5, I thought it was small enough. But <laughs> in some situations, the family still feel that's too that that's too big. Yeah. So we have even like smaller cameras. So like production wise, uh, it was challenging at that time mm. because mm. you know they 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 don't like like being chasing with, you know, big cameras or like sound gears, things like that. So we don't have like, like long, big boom mics, things like that. So <laughs> we just try to keep, you know, if, if it's in an intimate um, environment, we would just respect the family. So if they said like, they don't want to be filmed, we definitely, we will definitely stop. And if they, if they, if they didn't say that, we will just assess the situation by ourselves. So that's basically how their reaction was, um, and and we talk about that a lot, Jayan. We talk about that a lot here in the program. This idea of as doc filmmakers, how we may affect um, situations, how we may affect the doc film, um, simply by our mere presence, the presence of the camera uh, happening in this in the situation. And we often talk about what are ways that we can minimize that sort of impact. As a doc filmmaker, it's important to be aware of the impact that you and a crew and the type of gear that you have, how that impacts our subjects and how that impacts our scenes. Along those lines, I'd love to hear you talk to us a bit about cultural differences. Filming a documentary like this, what was what were some of the cultural differences that you can share with us working in the U.S. and then also filming, of course, in China? 
I think I can talk about um, you know this a little bit just based on the experience I I have so far. So like Ying's story, uh, I think it's a very unique story because there are a lot of like cultural elements in the film itself. Other than it's a you know it's a star it's a film about you know a family searching for their beloved daughter and a daughter and a a, a talented young woman you know who's 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 loved by her. Uh, you know, families and friends and uh, how much her life um, has touched everyone's life. There, like cultural elements is really important and it did affect uh, how we how we like do the production. So like this film, we shot uh, like both in U.S. and China. And the feeling when we were filming um, was 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 quite different, I would say. So in the U.S., basically, I, I don't know, like whether it's uh, uh, you know it, it's common or normal and applied to you know other documentaries, but I, I feel like in the U.S. when we were filming with the family or filming at public event, just a few just a few people on the street and in the rally, they they seemed they didn't really afraid of the camera or they just very you know just ignored like our appearance. So I didn't really have any difficulties like filming here. But in China, especially when we were with the family in China in their small town, uh, we were really careful about uh, what what kind what type of camera we used, and also how how close we shadow the family. You know, like even when we are filming Yin's family in the U.S., um, it totally feels very very different from what I did before. I mean, for example. Um, we talk about you know uh, how comfortable the, the subjects um, will be, um, and there are people like telling me that if you follow the subjects as long, um, I mean you know long enough, they will ignore you know they will basically won't really pay attention to you and the camera. Right. But it wasn't the case with Zing's family. Mm. So from the ver- from from the first day we film uh, with Zing's family till the last shoot we have we had with them. Uh, I think at the end, I mean, late last year. Yeah. So we've been spending time with them over two years. They they are stu- they they were very still aware of the camera and us. Mm. So for us, um, it was a big challenge to, you know, build the trust, uh, maintain the relationship. Even though you know we were really really close, and uh, you know, without the camera. They really treated us as um, their own own children, yeah. and uh, during the trial, we 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 went to their the place they stayed, and the mom and the father they cooked for us. So we basically had like lunch or dinner with them yeah. almost every day, yeah. but that's yeah. without camera. Yeah. So I think for them, this you know this is a very, very sad film, you know, for the audience and for them. It can be even, you know, sadder and tougher for them to watch. This is probably the worst moment in their life, and uh, probably there won't be any chance for them just to move on. So this is a very sad story. But overall, I mean, our strategy or our, uh, you know, principle is basically we respect their feelings. So whenever they don't want us to film, we will just stop. And also, we communicate with each, each other afterwards. Sometimes, you know, Ying's family, they were just they were so nice that they don't they didn't want to say no to us. Mm. So that's I think that's a cultural difference. You know, maybe as as Chinese, we we, we don't really say no to others. Yeah. 
you know, sometimes they probably uh, they wanted to stop us, but they just feel like, oh, maybe we, we shouldn't say that. And but afterwards, we will talk about, you know, how do you feel about like today, things like that. And they will tell us, you know, blah, blah, blah. At some point, you know, I just feel like uh, I'm not comfortable with that. So we, we will have, you know, conversations like that to just want to make sure we respect their feelings. And, uh, you know, we're making a film, but I don't want to hurt them. So I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously that's a discussion that we have as doc filmmakers and certainly on the show here all the time, which is that delicate nature and relationship that we have with our subjects. And it takes time to build that relationship up. And even more so when you add the cultural element that you're talking about. And I can only imagine spending two years with the subject um, with subjects and having them still, you know, at times be hesitant or at least aware of the camera. It's a very, very delicate process. Now, have they seen the film? So we send the film to Ying's boyfriend. Yeah. So through a link. Yeah. Uh, right now, Ying's parents and the boyfriend, they are both in, uh, they are all in China. At, at the very beginning, we, we were thinking about, and that's normally like Kartankun films um, do, so we will uh, sit with the subjects and right. uh, watch the film with them. So that's our like goal. That was our goal. Yeah. So at the very beginning, but myself because of like my visa status and uh, you know other things, I I wasn't able to make the trip trip happen. Uh-huh. So we first send a, a link, a email link to Ying's uh, boyfriend, who's a major part of the film. Right. So he watched it and. Uh, at the time, I was also thinking maybe I can Skype in. So somehow, like, I was present there, you know, with him. But he said no to me. And I also wanted to respect his decision. So ah. he, he watched it. And I can't imagine, like, this, you know, if, if I, I was there and he watching the film and uh, what I would see. So I can't imagine what's going to happen. So I totally respect, you yeah. know, what he did, yeah. what he said to me. So uh, I sent a link to him. And we made a phone call afterwards. Okay. Yeah. So he, he, he said, you know, definitely, you know, this is a very difficult, this is very difficult for him uh, to watch. Yeah. But he really appreciated what we did uh, for the family and for Ying Ying. And uh, she, and he felt like we did a great job to uh, extensively cover the whole story. And he also like mentioned something that he wanted us to add in the film, some comments in the film. And we did, you know, um, take, his suggestion into consideration oh. but at the same time we want to make sure that it's not like changing the film yeah and it's it's not really you know dramatically change the film and uh, it also doesn't it's also you know lead the film in a different direction we take that uh, into consideration and made some changes uh in the film mm. and uh, in terms of ying's uh parents yeah the film i think uh, almost a half of the film um is in english and ying's parents like they don't know English. And even if we put on like subtitles, Ying's mom, she can't read Chinese. So mm-hmm. for her, it's almost impossible to, you know, to understand what's the English part. And we also don't want to just throw them a link and let them just to watch. Oh, God, no. God, no. <laughs> so so we, we actually we were thinking about, OK, right now we showed it to Ying's boyfriend. So yeah. what if the boyfriend just visits the family and uh, sit with them? Yeah. And watch the film so at least he can explain you know what's going on and we feel like like in a film there are a lot of stuff like in his diary things like that it's so crucial to the film but yeah. they are all in english so oh, yeah. it's very important to let the, uh Ying's parents know but then 
the whole coronavirus thing happened. Yeah. So Ying's boyfriend, he wasn't able to travel. And uh, after that, uh, I mean, even before that, we actually um, planned to invite Ying's parents and the boyfriend coming to South by. We've already get a, get a visa. We've already got a visa for them. Yeah. And we were just waiting to, you know, flying them here. And then there there's a travel ban uh, because of the coronavirus. Right. And uh, so everything, you know, like later on, the film festival got canceled. So, so far, Ying's family, I mean, parents hasn't uh, haven't seen the film yet. Yeah. But Xiaoling, Ying's boyfriend, already told them what's in the film. And we are still looking for opportunities to show the film to the family before it show it to the a general public broad a large public okay broad public. so that's still our plan and uh you know ideally i want to you know sit with them to watch the film but yeah. we it's just a matter of you know how we can figure yeah. it out yeah the logistics behind it especially as well especially nowadays Moving away from the specifics of the film and talking more about how things like the coronavirus has affected um, logistics, if you will, let's talk a bit about the closing of South by Southwest and how that's affected you uh, personally and professionally. Of course, Finding Ying Ying was set to premiere at this year's South by Southwest. How has this impacted you and how has it impacted your film? What's going to happen now? Yeah, sure. So I think I was in my kitchen uh, when I, you know, received uh, an email about the, not, I think it's like maybe a news feed about the cancellation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> to be honest, I was, I was shocked uh, and I didn't know what I'm going to do at that, at that specific, specific moment. So, yeah. and our team, we just, you know, discussed and uh, we basically didn't really know what to do because it was, you know, I think it's the first time like such big film festival just canceled and uh, it's a premiere of the film and uh, we've already shipped all our like posters and uh, postcards um, yeah. uh, to buy and then we are we're getting ready. It's only a, a week away and uh, we are really excited for it, not only, you know, because it's the world premiere and uh, we are able to we were able to bring in story and her family story to the world. But also it would be the first time all the crew members, you know, meet. So a lot of us just work remotely. So oh, man. we never, we never, we, we never meet each other. So we, we thought that would be a great gathering and a celebration, you know, of the, for the film and for Ying's life. But it just canceled. And uh, we, at first, we didn't really know what to do. But very soon we realized that, okay, it's not just us. There are also a lot of like you know filmmakers being affected by this, right? And so thinking about the organizers at South by, you know, all the staff who's been putting these amazing filmmaker together like for such a long time, and it has it has to go on. So we, I think we just uh, you know express how we feel on on social media and really you know to support each other. And uh, I think that later on there are a lot of uh, like press and also organizations i would say doc organizations they came up with a lot of ideas options to support those you know films and filmmakers being affected by south by so we really really appreciated that and our plan was basically we're still going to continue our festival run before they or got canceled but you know right now we know that there's you know nothing like no film festival would would happen at least in spring and summer so we we so right now we are just like waiting for notice for some film festivals, and also we keep we are keep we keep submitting the film to different film festivals, and we are also uh you know because we really want 
to bringing story to the world. And uh, we are, you know, talking to, you know, I mean, there are a lot of like bloggers and the press. They are so nice. And on Twitter, they just said, you know, send us links. We will cover the cover the film, you know, cover the, you know, the hard work you've done. So we also send out link to them because I, you know, everyone is so supportive. And I think this is something that the whole industry we are facing now, like South by is the first one, first major film festival got canceled. Right. Now we have more and more and more. Yeah, it kind of felt like dominoes. Yeah, so we, we didn't really know what's going to happen next. And I, I believe, you know, everyone in the industry, we are also trying to figure out. And no one knows, you know, how this situation will play out yeah. eventually. Yeah. But what we can do right now is just to stay positive and really support each other. Because, you know, that's why I really like documentary filmmaking, because everyone is, I mean, everyone I met is just so nice and so supportive and also especially really nice to first time filmmakers, really, really supportive. And uh, I got a lot of suggestions and advice from experienced filmmakers when they learned that, you know, my film, my world premiere got canceled um, at South by. So really, really appreciate it. Talk a bit about how someone like Kartemquin, how they've supported you during this important time. I started this project as a student film at school at Northwestern University when Brent Huffman, he was my professor. And at that time, he gave me a lot of like suggestions and guidance, uh, you know, both creative wise and also how can I connect my, you know, film to other people in the industry. And actually, it was him suggested me to apply to a, a fellowship program called called the Diverse Voices in Docs Fellowship program at Kartankwin Films. Yeah. So that was the first time my interaction with, with Kartankwin. And uh, I was very lucky. I got the fellowship. The, the, the next year in 2018, I was basically a, a fellow at Kartankwin and we had monthly workshops uh, and we, have, we had a, like a, var- a variety of uh, different workshops from uh, ethics, uh, like grant writing, and making budgets, uh, creating demos to how to pitch your, you know, projects to founders and uh, distributors. So, and I also had like mentors at that time. And Gordon Quinn, who's the artistic director at Cartoon Quinn, he's also very supportive, especially to uh, first-time filmmakers. And he gave me a lot of guidance on, you know, creative-wise, and also especially on the ethical issues like in in this film i have a lot of i mean countless ethical questions and i would always like ask him and uh, gordon will you know tell me like in this situation what is you know wrong what is right and uh, really help me to navigate uh, those difficulties i met in production i think during the time i was in the fellowship there are also other opportunities connected to this program so that's how I can bring the in finding you know this film to other larger um, platforms. And also during this time, uh, I met uh, one of the producers, Diane Kwan, at I think it's the a working progress uh, critic uh, lab. So she came to the lab, and uh, at that time I just screened the twenty minutes uh, short student doc, and she's really you know touched. Uh, and move the buying story and her family story. And she's always very supportive um, to, you know, Asian voices, especially new Asian voices. So she decided to came on board. And she's also, you know, helped me kind of like open a door to a wider like industry and uh, 
she really, you know, ended up she she brought this project to Sundance like submit. And also she later on, she became a fellow at the Sundance Creative Producing Lab. So she was able to pitch funny at those events. And we were also able to be part of Tribeca TFI network. That's also through Kartenkun connection. Yeah. I'm just so appreciate that. You know, I'm, I was a student when I started the film. Right. And along the way, making this film, I met so many people who really trust me and uh, believe in this project. And they are willing to, you know, offer help along the way, even though they they don't know. Like, I mean, they believe in the film, but, you know, it's kind of it's also kind of like a take a risk, you know, a new voice telling this story. So they really trust me and uh, give me a lot of support. And uh, I'm, I'm just so lucky. We've been having an amazing conversation with doc filmmaker Jian Shi. Jian is the filmmaker of Finding Ying Ying. Ah, boy, Jian, this has been a tremendous conversation. I really can't thank you enough for coming on to the Documentary Life podcast. I can't wait for Finding Ying Ying to get out into the world, and I wish you the best luck moving forward, and I hope we remain in touch. Yes, yes, it was so great chatting with you. Yes, yeah. Don't forget, if you like our show and you want to transform your documentary filmmaking this year, we'd love to have you join us in one of our workshops. Check out our current roster by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash workshops. See you next time, Doc Lifer.